Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Alrighty, well, welcome back to another arousing uh, edition of Red Rock Relationships. I am your host, and today we are going to, well, we're not going to necessarily continue our discussion on conflict, but we are going to branch out from it and... um much in the way that we had sort of a two-parter on affection. We're going to do a two-parter on the things that go wrong in our relationships. And here to join me is a very skilled communication scholar who specializes in our topic of the day, specifically related to things like blended families, step families, divorce, and all those nasty little bits. I'm joined by Dr. Bailey Oliver. Bailey, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me happy to do it so obviously we're gonna get into you know the nitty-gritties of these relational problems that we encounter but before we do i'm hoping you can give uh, a short biography um to our listeners as we do every week would you mind doing that not at all uh well i'm dr bailey oliver um i have my bachelor's and master's in communication from the university of alabama um, and then I pursued and received my PhD in human communication from Arizona State University, which is where I know your lovely host. Um, and I mostly have focused on interpersonal and family communication, more specifically on conflict within those types of relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I'm currently an assistant professor at UA Little Rock, so the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, in the Applied Comm Department. Uh, just like he already mentioned, I study a lot of uh, research around restructured families, mm. which is pretty much a fancy term for post-divorced step families, blended families um, who have experienced some kind of restructure from their original form. Uh, I've been studying that for about nine years or so, but I have been a part of a step family for much longer uh, since I was about 10 years or so. Uh, and I think it's really important that I note that I am a conflict transformation researcher. And what that means is that I pretty much study the dark side to get to the light. Mm -hmm. So some of the things we're talking about today, you know, are perceived to be extremely negative, things like divorce and having to remarry someone that, you know, is the second time around. But I really study what are the resilient aspects of that and how we can actually cultivate positive relationships in the wake of some of these challenges. So that's me. And that's the direct opposite of me. I study the negative um, exactly. from an uncertainty standpoint because it makes me smile. Um, there you go. <laughs> so, um, so thank you for that introduction. And in our last episode, when we talked with uh, Rob Matheny, we spent a lot of time breaking down this notion of intractable conflict, conflict that is based within our very innermost values or our sense of identity and something like that. And we kind of left off on a point where we were like, sometimes when we have these terrible, terrible conflicts, the only thing that we can do is split the interaction, terminate the relationship. And in the context of family, which is, of course, where we've been taking things for the last couple of weeks, that does sometimes mean separation, divorce, annulment, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm a little bit more interested, not necessarily in the bad, but in uh, the objective. So I'm hoping we can get a little bit of clarification from you. Um, post-divorce, post-separation, um, 
at some point, families do tend to come back together in one form or another, and the term that we use for this colloquially is the blended family. But this term gets thrown around a lot um, to refer to a variety of different types of relationships. Would you mind uh, breaking down what some of the different types of blended families are that exist other than the traditional, you know, like divorced parents? Yeah, so the term blended, um, and depending on who you're talking to, some people are either really in favor of this term or they're staunchly against it. Mm. Uh, but the term blended family just means that you're bringing two different groups together and blending them into a new group or into a new structure. Um, mm. So blended families are the same thing as step families, same thing as restructured families, remarried families. In the literature and even in you know pop culture discussions of step families, they're often referred to as blended families because two separate family units are coming together to blend themselves together. Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch, yes. And it's ironic that you bring that up because a lot of times when uh, researchers have asked, you know, what's the ideal family that you have seen in the media? They mm -hmm. almost always say the Brady Bunch. And a lot of people forget that the Brady Bunch is a step family. Mm -hmm. um, and they were a step family before it was uh, more populous to be a part of a step family. Um, so really, when we say blended families, especially in research, we are referring to step families. Um, so a step family is really anything, any family that includes either a step sibling or a step parent. Mm -hmm. um, so you can be a step family without producing additional children together. Um, you can be a uh, complex step family, which means both exes remarry and start new families together. They might include additional members like half siblings, which are siblings that are half biologically related. Mm -hmm. um, so the term blended family is trying to really talk about or encompass all the different ways that you can be a part of a step family. Uh, it almost always is due to divorce, but of course we know step families like the Brady Bunch uh, can also form after post bereavement or the death of a spouse as well. Right, right, right. And okay, so we are really traditionally talking about step families, and I think that you know if we really wanted to get into detail about it, there's a variety of other different types of families that are te that technically do blend together in some way, shape, or form. But the most common, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think the most common form of quote unquote non-traditional family that people encounter under these circumstances is the step family. Um, yes. Am I, I'm right, right? And yes, I, absolutely. Step families account for over 40% of families in the US now. So they're actually the most prevalent modern mm -hmm. family form. Yeah, I came across that statistic in my research and I was actually shocked by, by that four zero, 40%. Um, mm -hmm. But one good thing that that does is it normalizes the experience of being in a step family. Um, and if we look at the reflection that we see in media, we are definitely seeing that step families are becoming a little bit more mainstream. They're becoming a little bit more commonly discussed. Um, so I would consider that to be um, a good thing and a bad thing simultaneously because what it does is it creates an impression of what a step family should look like. And then if our family doesn't look like that, we use uh, we understand that social comparison theory tells us that when we see our family going in a different direction than what we see on the television, um, we tend to more negatively evaluate it. So right. that's not great. I'm hoping you can help me work through some statistics. Now I know statistics are not your thing. Uh, they are my thing. I don't thing. find statistics. I just 
much prefer the in-depth disclosure conversation. Okay, well, so... But I can work with them. I can work with them. <laughs> so we're coming out of Utah here. I wanted to do some Utah-specific <laughs> statistics. Okay. On previous episodes of the show, we found that Utah, independent of Hawaii and Nevada, which are the two okay. destination wedding spots, Utah has the highest marriage rate in the country. And what's okay. more, Utah is the state in which people tend to get married at the youngest. Now, given what we know about statistics, mm -hmm. that would tell us that it probably is a state with one of the higher divorce rates. But amazingly, Utah is by far the state with the lowest divorce rate at just under 16%. The national average is 31%. Utah comes in at just under 16%. So why? what explanation do you think we can um, come up with for why that might be? So the first thing about statistics, whenever I encounter anyone talking about divorce, the first thing I, I point out, and I promise I'm going to answer your question, <laughs> is that there's a lot of misconceptions about the divorce rate in general. Mm. Um, so the common misconception that's been pervasive for you know, 30, 40 years now has been that half of marriages end in divorce. Oh, yeah. So 50% divorce rate. That is, that is actually um, a myth or it, it's not fully, it's not the full picture of divorce. Um, the divorce rate actually peaked in the 70s and 80s at about 41%, mm -hmm. if we're looking at the US specifically. Um, divorce rates have lowered over past decades. They have continued to fall. It's estimated that now the divorce rate is closer to 30%, yep. 30, 31%. Um, again, depending on what state you're a part of, but that tends to be the overall percentage for the US. And there's been a lot of reasons for why this divorce rate has fallen. And some of the reasons kind of just make logical sense. For example, people are waiting later to get married, right? So mm -hmm. the marriages that happen at the younger age, just like you mentioned, have the expectation that they are more likely to be terminated because they happen before people fully form their values, before they fully form, you know, their belief systems. Mm. But other than just people getting married later, uh, we do see that more recent uh, generations, especially millennials uh, like me and you, are waiting to get married after they meet these other uh, life goals, like right. education or finding a particular job. Um, even things like birth control and the increase in cohabitating before you get married mm -hmm. has lowered this statistic as well. Yeah. So if we're looking just at the statistics for Utah, and there is a higher marriage rate, right? And, at a lower age. Yes. Um, one thing, one reason that that can be explained in part, not fully, but in part, is that a lot of these marriages might be related to a shared value system related to religion. Mm -hmm. So there has been uh, a lot of research that has talked about if you're part of the same faith and that was important to bringing you together, then that is actually going to solidify you during conflict as well. So if you're both part of Christianity and you go through a difficult time in your relationship and you know that your relationship was based on Christianity, you can both seek that similar value of right. in, you know, discussing Christ or discussing uh, how the Bible can help teach you through this mm -hmm. conflict. So my assumption, and I don't have the statistics to, to back it up other than what the statistics say about couples who marry within the same religion and for religious purposes mm -hmm. could be that they have um, they don't have to worry about having divergent values if they got married with the same uh, religious connotations or expectations and they might be more likely to persist during the difficult times because they have that shared value 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, I actually almost wrote that same thing out <laughs> word for word. And we don't we don't have to dance around the elephant in the room. We know that in Utah, there's a large LDS population and they right. share those core values. And so if we think about what we discussed last week with intractable conflict, we mm. may experience some intractable conflicts in our marriage about things like politics or I, I don't know, like the, the climate or like, you know, big things that are connected to our identity. But what we find is that a large portion of marriages that occur in Utah occur between people who have similar religious beliefs, specifically LDS beliefs. And as such, that shared faith may be what's keeping them together. Now, I do have a caveat here. I got mm-hmm. to throw out a little caveat. The national, okay. the, the national average of divorce rate is actually down 19% in the last 10 years, which is wonderful, right? That's what we want to see. But there are two states that have actually seen an increase in divorce rates over the course of the last 10 years. One is New York, obviously. <laughs> and then the other one is Utah, which has seen a almost 3%, a 2.7% increase in divorce rates. So yes, Utah has the lowest divorce rate, but it's one of only two states in which the rate's actually going up, whereas the national average is going down. How can we explain that? That is a great question. Um, just like you mentioned, the whole idea of intractable conflict is usually because you you disagree on some foundational part of your identity or of mm-hmm. your coupled identity, who you think you are as a couple. And a lot of times those values are based off of our belief systems of sure. what we believe to be true or not true. Um, so it makes sense that people are getting married younger and staying together longer in Utah if they're really focused on this idea of hey, I already know I have this shared value that's not going to cause conflict in my relationship later on. Now, as for New York and uh, Utah, the only thing I can think about would be uh, the statistics that I kind of just talked about. The idea of um, divorce rate has has been lowering over time due to people getting married later, finishing education, doing their career. So in part, some of the people before this trend – So later, they're called gray marriages. So people are gray divorces, people getting divorced later on in life could be explained by people going back to school or going back to their career Mm. or um, focusing on things outside of that relationship, specifically if they got married young before they found that this was actually part of their value system that they wanted to explore later on. So I can't answer that definitively because I haven't done, you know, hands on research about it. Mm -hmm. But I I can see in the research on gray divorce and gray step families and gray remarriage, a lot of times it is uh, when people have become uh, empty nesters and yes. they're having to Ugh, pretty yes. much rebuild their relationship now that their kids are not there. So their identity has changed. Mm-hmm. We're not just parents, but we have to fall back in love with one another. Um, so I could see an increase and I don't know, you know, what specific would be about New York or Utah in this, but where people want to reevaluate those values later on in life, yeah. once they have to reevaluate their identity. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you with New York, it's probably just that everybody hates each other. You are too close to that topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, a little bit of bias there. But I love that you brought up empty nesters, and I wish we had the time to dive into it. But empty nesters are a situation in which uh, 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 older parents find that their children have all left the nest. And now they have to, like, like Dr. Oliver said, kind of get to know each other again and fall in love all over again. And unfortunately, sometimes that results in them realizing that they don't really like each other in any way other than the role of father or mother. 
Right. Let's or move they on. Find that their values have changed yeah. now that they now that they no longer have that shared focus of the children. Especially with the advent of schools like DSU, who are providing education to non-traditional students at record rates. Uh, that's just a little bit of a plug there for DSU. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Go Trailblazers. Um, let's move on. The census data that I recently accessed, and again, this is census data, so this is from 10 years ago, um, mm -hmm. and we're, we're getting new census data this year, but it shows that approximately 1,300 uh, new step families are formed every day. That is a colossal number. So mm -hmm. what this means is that when we have these step families, we need to do specific things to blend the family, hence the term blended family. So can we talk just for a couple of minutes here about the importance of blending a family and why it's so important to truly step into, um, step into this step family. You did that on purpose. Sure did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that is what, you know, my research is about. That's what a lot of the trends in uh, restructured families have more recently, and when I say recently, I mean in the past 10 to five years have been doing. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the research on what blended families do or can do or what is happening to them uh, is a lot of times focused on this deficient comparison approach, which is that they are studied for the dark side. They're studied for the challenges. They're studied for the harmful effects on children of remarriage and the harmful effects on parental identity due to remarriage. And that information is, is true, right? So so after divorce, children oftentimes feel caught. They feel caught between quarreling parents. Sometimes they have to be the message runner. So if their parents won't talk to each other now that they're exes, they get sent to relay information. Uh, kids are you know, caught between two different residences or different rituals. And for step families, they have this assumption that they're inherently negative, uh, for a lot of reasons. And some uh, similar to what you were talking about with media, we do have more expansive uh, representation of step families, but there's still these pervasive master narratives of the evil stepmother mm -hmm. or the evil stepsister, mm -hmm. or that step families are, you know, a big hairy thing that's difficult to manage. And that is true, but a lot of the conflict that step families experience um, are due to things that any family is experiencing. Uh, for example, a lot of the conflict conflict or rivalry between step-siblings is simply because there's more people living in the house. Um, yeah. So more children vying for resources, more attention. children vying for the attention of yeah. their parents. So that's not inherently due to being step, but due to increasing children within the household. Uh, for step-parents and step-siblings, one thing that is unique for their challenge, challenges as a family is that they have ambiguous roles. They, uh, we don't know, you know, should, should I be disciplining the child if I'm the stepfather? Should I be showing affection if I'm the stepmom? Mm -hmm. uh, can I, you know, run and tell my step-sibling something that is a secret of mine? So for every other type of family, primarily intact heterosexual first marriage families, we kind of have these expectations of what those roles look like. The yeah. mother is the carer. The father figure is likely the disciplinarian. You can look up and talk to your older siblings. Step families or blended families are discourse dependent, which means that they basically have to create these roles on the fly. They have to communicate these roles into existence. Um, so there's a lot of research that talks about what they should do instead. And, and if you want to go ahead and move there, I can talk about, do you want to talk about what step parents want to do or, or half siblings or siblings or 
Well, we can talk. We can talk a little bit about. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to spend. We've got about five minutes left, so I did definitely oh, want to okay. spend some time discussing. I can hit the high points. Yeah, yeah. Hit me with the high points, and then we're gonna finish off by talking, maybe giving some advice to people who are in the middle of blending their family and some specific yeah. things that they can do to help ease that yeah. process. And some of this is probably advice as well. So uh, for step parents, uh, I've been on a current research team that's really looked at how to cultivate that role that is discourse dependent. And a lot of times uh, kids, st stepchildren want a friend and a parent at the same time. But for step parents, it's important for them to build that friendship first. So when you're blending a family, it's really important as a new member in a new role to a family that you are becoming their confidant, becoming their friend first. But they do eventually want you to become a parent. They do want you to communicate protection and to protect them when needed. Um, this sounds like a simple thing to do, but spending quality time together as a family, creating new rituals that still adhere to what your old rituals were, but have new additions that include these new family members are important as well. Um, the whole family is really what needs to be focusing on blending the family. So it's not just a step parent's uh, job. It's not just the non-residential parent's child uh, job or the child's job, but the whole family needs to really think about whole system resilience. Yeah. So positive parental intervention, having a step or a biological parent positively intervene and encourage step siblings to communicate or half siblings to communicate. Uh, having biological parents legitimize the role of a step parent in discipline or in some other area. Um, having a, a good relationship with the other biological parent that doesn't live within the household is important. You don't have to be best friends with your ex, but you should be able to show your child that you can cooperate with them and that you can spend time with them at shared family events together. And then if we're talking about half siblings specifically, which are oftentimes a part of a blended family, it's important to not use the word half. So I've done re research specifically on half siblings where being called a half sibling communicates that they're not a full member of the family. Right, they're a half um, member. Yeah, so they're only half a member. So it's important when you're talking to them or talking to others that you don't use that term half. Mm. And that when they're age appropriate, if you're the older sibling, the older half sibling, you tell them the backstory of how your blended family came to be. Mm. Uh, kids don't like uncertainty. You're the uncertainty guy that studies that. So children don't like that as well. When they're age appropriate, they do want to know how their family came to be. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think it's really important that you mentioned that this is not a dyadic process. And what I mean by that is that this is not, it's not only up to the parents. It is up to, if we're talking about the traditional step family, it's up to all four parents. Yeah, exactly. It's up to all mm -hmm. four parents and also the children. I was reading a really interesting study by a name that I'm about to absolutely pronounce terribly. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's Ganong and colleagues from 2019. Ganong, yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> and Ganong and, and their research team essentially found that, yes, obviously marital quality contributes to the functioning of a stepfamily, but so too does step-parent-stepchild relationship and also step-sibling relationship, mm -hmm. if applicable. So this reminds me, in the last minute here, this reminds me of the 
one of the very first courses I took during my master's program was a family communication course. And I read a reading and I think it was called something like that dear old octopus, which doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense, but the analogy that they use is that when we think about the family, we're thinking about an octopus. An octopus has a series of tentacles and those tentacles are individuals. And one tentacle can enact with another one or another one or two or three at the same time. And that they're all also connected to this larger entity that obviously represents the family. And when you're talking about a step family, you are adding extra tentacles. And that means that you need to pay specific attention to those tentacles as well as the original tentacles and how they all intermingle with each other. So it's a very long, complicated process. And we don't have time because we're out of time, but we don't have time for you to talk about your experience in, in your step family, but it's the most successful step family I've ever seen. I think it, it wouldn't be an overreach to say that you literally have four parents, would it? I do, absolutely. And they all serve a unique role, but I will say that the relationships didn't start out that way. So it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of uh, communication excellence in order to reach that, that positive family we have now. I agree. And it's great to see them all hang out with each other like friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we are out of time. Thank you so much, Bailey, for being our yeah. guest. Uh, next time, we're going to talk a little bit more about dark side stuff. We're going to get to jealousy. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time to talk about jealousy. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication.